0: Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace.
1: In the New Covenant, we have boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies by a new and living way. For so long, I was
0: just always reaching out towards God, where are you, Lord? But when I heard Andrew's message, it was just like the light bulb went off, and I just like knew God is here with us.
1: And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Thursday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. Today, I'm continuing to teach on a subject that I'm entitled, A Better Way to Pray. I just started this on this last Monday and we are just now getting into this. I have this teaching in book form. I also have CDs and DVDs. We also have this book in Spanish. And I would like to encourage you to please get this. I tell you, this teaching on prayer is powerful and I'm just in the beginning of it and I know many of you don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm going to be hitting some of the sacred cows of religion concerning prayer that have negated the power of God in your life. There's a reason why most people's prayers aren't effective and a lot of it has to do with religious traditions and doctrines of men. So I've taken the approach this week that Jesus took in Matthew chapter 6 where before He started teaching on what prayer was, He taught on what prayer was not. And He says, hypocrites love to pray. And I've been a lot of religious traditions and doctrines about prayer. I tell you, this is good stuff. And over in Matthew chapter 6, we ended with the Lord's prayer, what's commonly called the Lord's prayer, In Matthew chapter 6, well, that same thing is said right here in Luke chapter 11. It goes through the same thing. In verse 2, it says, And when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But then immediately, Jesus goes into this teaching about prayer. And I just want to warn you up front, I am going to totally counter the way that this has been taught because I believe that it has been taught wrong. And the context makes it very clear. Look at this in Luke chapter 11, verse 5. He said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And people take this and teach that this is the way that we are supposed to approach God like this man who needed something and his friend wouldn't give him what he needed because he was his friend, but just because of his importunity, he figured, I've got to get rid of this guy. If I don't give him what he wants, he's going to keep me up all night long. And People actually teach this as the way that we are supposed to approach God, that there is a resistance on God's part. He really doesn't want to answer our prayers, but if we will just stay at Him, if we won't quit, if we will just badger him, eventually God will let us go and give us what we need because of our importunity. That is not what this is teaching. It's teaching the exact opposite of this. Now, follow this thinking. He's saying, which of you shall have a friend that if you go unto him at midnight and ask for three loaves?" How many of you have friends that if you were to call them, they wouldn't help you? I had uh, Bob Yandian, one of my friends. He's one of our ministers. He's on my board. He ministers in our Bible college. He was staying at our lodge, and he was ministering in um, our school, and it was about 1035 at night or something like that, and his key wouldn't open up the front gate, and he couldn't get in, and you know what? He called me at like 1035. I had just turned off the light and gone to bed, and I was in bed exactly like this is describing, but because he was a friend, Jamie and I both got up. We began to start making calls. We got people over there. We helped him and gave him what he needed. He didn't have to badger me. You know, when Jesus said, which of you shall have a friend that would treat you this way? The truth is no friend would ever just say, hey, I'm in bed. My wife is in bed. My kids are in bed. Leave me alone. It's late. Forget your need. I'm going to think about myself. Friends don't treat you that way. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I have friends that would treat me that way. Well, they aren't true friends. They may be acquaintances. You might know somebody like that, but a friend doesn't treat you this way. The point that he's making, he's making a comparison. or I probably would be better to say he's making a contrast. He's saying you don't have friends that would treat you this rude. Why do you think you have to badger God and just stay after Him? And He's not prone to give you what you ask for, but if you will just stay after Him, He will give it to you because of your importunity. Know what He's doing is say, people treat you better than this. If you expect this good a treatment from people, well then why would you think that God would treat you any less than a friend? And see, the context will bear this out because in the very next verse, it says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Again, this isn't a real comparison. It's a contrast. It's saying that even earthly parents treat their children better than this. If a child was to ask his father for a piece of bread, would you give him a stone? Of course, the answer to that is absolutely not. You wouldn't take your little kid and give him a rock and have him bite into it and break his teeth and hurt him. You treat your children better than this. And then he goes on to say, or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? If, if your child asked for a fish, would you give them a poisonous serpent in return? No, parents don't treat their... Good parents don't treat their children this way. In verse 12, he says, Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? None of us would treat our children this way. This isn't comparing God to the parent who gives his child a rock or a serpent or a scorpion. It's saying that we treat others... We treat our own children, we treat our friends better than this. Why do we think that God is so uh, uh, set against granting us our answers to prayer? And he kind of sums it all up in the next verse in verse 13. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? He's saying, if you expect better treatment than this from people, how much more should you expect good treatment from God when we approach Him in prayer? And Yet religion has presented that God is liable to say no to you. God is liable to let you suffer. God is putting these problems on you the cause problem. In other words, religion comes along and says, oh, God gave you a stone instead of a piece of bread because that's actually better for you. God gave you a serpent instead of a fish. God gave you a scorpion when you asked for an egg. This is the way that God treats you. See, this is what religion has done. We have blamed God for our problems. Religion will come along and say, God put this sickness on you. God caused your child to die. God is the one that caused these birth defects. God is doing this to make you a better person. It's basically what uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 talks about, that in the end times, people will call evil good and good evil. And it's happened. And the church is one of the biggest propagators of this, saying, no, God is the one who's letting you suffer. God has done this. God is in control of everything. God is sovereign. Nothing can happen but what God wills it and allows it. That is not true. They are making God like what Jesus is teaching against here. Like God is a father who gives a stone to somebody who asks for bread. He gives a serpent to somebody who asks for a fish. He gives a scorpion to somebody who asks for an egg. No, this isn't making a comparison, it's making a contrast. If you could expect better treatment from, than this, from people, then why do we think that Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who loved us enough to send Jesus, somehow or another, loves us less than I, this person over here? You know, I've used this exact logic on a lot of people. I remember ministering to a man one time who was really in bad shape. He uh, he had been on a vacation, and on his vacation, he nearly died. They put him in the hospital for a week, expecting him to die and he just kept hanging on. So finally they allowed him to rent an ambulance and they drove him home. His wife called, put the phone up to his mouth because he was so weak he couldn't even hold the phone. And I said, don't you dare die until I get there. And I went over and I started talking to this guy and I was, saying, I was telling him, God wants you well. It's God's will for you to be well. And he says, I know God can do it, but I don't know if God really wants to do it. I don't know if it's God's will for me to be well. And so you know what I did? I started using this exact same logic right here. And I just pointed to his wife. And I said, do you believe that your wife loves you enough that she wants you well? And he said, absolutely. And I said, you hadn't treated your wife perfectly. You've sinned against her. You've done things wrong. You aren't the perfect person. And he says, that's absolutely true. And I said, but with all of your problems and even knowing that you aren't the perfect person, is there any doubt that your wife wants you well? And he said, no. And I said, if she had the power to just heal you, do you think that she would want to see you so weak that you couldn't even hold the phone? that you couldn't get up and go to the bathroom and relieve yourself, that you have to be totally weighted on, You your diapers have to be changed. I said, do you think that that's what your wife wants? And he nearly got mad at me like, no, that's not what she wants. And I said, and you think that God Almighty, who loves you infinitely more than your wife does, somehow or another doesn't have as much compassion on you as your wife. And when I put it to him that way, it just totally disarmed him. And he says, well, I see what you mean. And he began to recognize that God wanted him well. Here's another example. It's the exact same thing. I've used this same logic on a number of people. But I was ministering in Colorado Springs one time, and I was talking about it's not God's will for us to be sick. That God didn't cause the problems in our life. God doesn't sovereignly make things happen. And there was a man there who had his daughter in a wheelchair, and his da- daughter was born. I don't know exactly what it was, but she, she uh, you know, the lights were on, but nobody was home. She couldn't talk. She was in a vegetative state. She was a quadriplegic. She had to have her diapers changed. She was about 12 years old, and yet she was just like a brand new baby. She was just there, but she wasn't there. And when I got to saying that God didn't will for this, that it was God's will for her to be well, this man got mad and he left because one of the ways he had, you know, a defensive technique that he had dealing with this problem was to say that God caused this. It was God's will. God had some redemptive purpose in his daughter being in this vegetative state and in a wheelchair at 12 years old. And he got mad and he stormed out. And the man who brought him to my meetings went out after him and talked to him out in the parking lot. And he said, look, why don't you stay and talk to this guy and ask him what he means? Maybe you've misunderstood him. Maybe he can explain himself or whatever. So after the service was over, this man came up to me and he was, he was angry. And he was telling me how offended he was saying that God didn't want his daughter in that state, that it was God that made her this way. This was God's will. She was glorifying God. And I tried to reason with him and share some scriptures, but he had scriptures that in my estimation, he was misinterpreting and in his estimation, I was misinterpreting scripture. And we just hit an impasse. And I wasn't going to convince this guy because he had just been prejudiced to believe that it was God's will that his daughter be that way. So you know what I did? I mean, he was standing behind the wheelchair. His daughter was in the wheelchair. I was in front of the wheelchair. And I just got to looking at this guy and I said, what kind of father are you that you don't even care about your daughter? You don't care if she ever gets out of this wheelchair. You don't care if she ever runs and plays like a normal kid. You don't care if she ever gets married and has a relationship. You want your daughter to be in this vegetative state. And poor, when I said that, this guy was already mad. He got livid and he got mad at me. And he says, "You, how dare you say something like this? He says, I would do anything for my daughter. He says, I would pay any amount of money. I would take her any place in the world. And then he says, if I could, I would take her place. I would be like she is so that she could be like me. And he was angry and just spewed this stuff out at me. And then I turned right back and I said, and you think God Almighty loves her less than you do. Now, see, he could argue doctrine with me and he could do all these things. But when I brought it down to a relationship, he knew he would do anything for his daughter. And he was a flawed human being. If a sinner... A man who had failed and sinned loved his daughter enough to want her to be well. Well, then how in the world can we come off with saying that God Almighty, who has all this power, sent His Son to this earth, somehow or another loves us less than we love our own children? And yet, see, this is being said and reproduced every single day through religion. People saying, well you have to pray and you have to petition God and you just have to stay after Him and it's your importunity. You're just going to have to wear Him down and that's the only way that you'll ever get God to move and do things. Man, that is an insult against God and that criticism of God is one of the very reasons that people's prayers aren't working because it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, that faith works by love. The real motivation, the heart of faith is love. And if you don't understand how much God loves you, if you think that somehow or another, he's just sitting there with his arms folded saying, you hadn't begged enough. You aren't holy enough. You aren't desperate enough. There's other people that needed more. If that's the impression that you have of God, then you do not really understand the love of God. And that very lack of love is what's hindering your faith. Again, Galatians 5, 6 faith works by love. You've got to understand his love. These verses are not saying that we need to approach God as being this friend who doesn't care about us. He's more concerned about his own comfort. He's not willing to get up in the middle of the night. He wouldn't do it if it was just us, but he's going to get up and give us what we ask for, lest we just wear him out. If you have that kind of an impression of God, then you and that impression is what is stopping your prayers from being answered. Instead, it ought to be just like He's saying here, but I'm saying unto you, I'm not... This friend, This may, you might be able to imagine this happening among human beings, but I'm saying unto you, if you ask the Father, it shall be given unto you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be opened unto you. Everyone that asks God receives, and he that seeks finds to him that knocks. The door shall be opened. See what he's doing? He's contrasting, and he says, God's love for us is infinitely greater than our love one among another. And if we could expect better treatment than this from people, how much more should we expect it from God? Let me turn over here to the 18th chapter of Luke and share another passage on prayer that is often misinterpreted. Just the same as the one I was using in Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 18, it says in verse one, and he spake a parable unto them to the end that man ought always to pray and not to faint, saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth. This passage has been used to teach that God is like this unjust judge. And He is not prone to give us what we ask for, but He is susceptible to just being worn down that we can badger him and stay after him until even though he doesn't really care about us, he doesn't care about what's right, he will do it because we have just asked him so many times, we'll wear him out. That is not right. That is a terrible thing to say about God. And yet religion is basically teaching this and saying that this is the way God is. He's not prone to answer your prayer, but you can wear him down. You can just keep after him and not quit until you force God to do what you want him to do. That is not what this is saying. It's not a comparison. It's a contrast. It's saying you would expect better treatment than this from a judge, an unjust judge. Even a person who doesn't love God would treat you better than this. If you expect this better treatment from a judge, well, then how, why don't you think that God will answer your prayers? Look at this in verse 7. It says, And shall not God avenge his own elect which cried day and night unto him, though He bear long with them." People will say, this is talking about God will bear long with you. He may not answer your prayer speedily. He might not do it quickly, but eventually you can wear Him down. No, it's talking about God will avenge His own elect which cried day and night unto Him, though He, talking about this unjust judge, bear long with them. He's making a contrast, not a comparison, God is not an unjust God. He is not going to sit there and not give us what is rightfully ours. He's making a contrast and He says, "...God will avenge His own elect which cry unto Him, though He, this unjust judge, bear long with them." In verse 8, "...I tell you that He will avenge them speedily." The very fact that Jesus said God will avenge us speedily completely takes away any interpretation of this parable that would mean that we have to prolong our request to God and just wear Him down and eventually get it by default. No, this is teaching just the opposite. I'm telling you, God is a good God. He wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. I have people come to me and say, would you just please pray that God would make me the person that I'm supposed to be? And I said, I can't pray a prayer like that. God wants you to be the person that you're supposed to be more than you want it. I said, there is no reason to approach God and beg God and ask God to move in your life and do something. He's already provided everything you will ever need. God wants your success more than you want it. Well, then why pray? Well, that's a good question. And I'm just about to get to where I can answer that, but I'm running out of time today. Let me say this, that I'm going to end our first teaching in this series today. The first teaching in this uh, album, it's a five-part album. The first teaching is entitled, Hypocrites Love to Pray. Now, we are going to continue to offer the book in English and in Spanish. We're going to offer the CDs and the DVD albums. But the way we give our materials out is that we ask for a donation of some amount. We have a suggested donation and we ask people to give towards the expense of this, but... Not everybody is able to give or there's many people that just won't give. They don't value it that much. And many times the people who need the teaching the most are the least able to afford it. So what we do, we, we say uh, for a suggested donation, we ask you to give something. But if you don't give anything, we will send you this first teaching in this series on CD and it's entitled, Hypocrites Love to Pray. Today will be my last day to make this total free offer to you. So if you would like to get this entire album and don't have any money to give or don't want to give any money, you could receive them one at a time as a free gift. My partners have enabled me to do that. I encourage you to listen to our announcer. He's going to give you all this information. And I encourage you to please get these materials on a better way to pray. They would be a blessing to you. And then join me again tomorrow as we continue this teaching on a better way to pray. Andrew's complete
0: teaching, titled, A Better Way to Pray, is available as a book in either English or Spanish. Today, Andrew would like to offer this book as his free gift to you. Go to awmi.net to get your copy today. The individual topic highlighted on today's broadcast is available as an audio CD for a gift of any amount when you write or call. We encourage everyone to give because there's a blessing in giving but if you're simply unable to afford it, Andrew and his partners will provide today's teaching free of charge. This is the last day we'll be offering this teaching, so be sure to respond today. A Better Way to Pray is also available as a CD or DVD album made from our daily television broadcast and as a companion study guide. Each of these valuable resources is available for a gift of any amount when you contact us. This entire series is also available for audio download absolutely free from our website. Go to awmi.net to see all the ways you can get this teaching. We want to say a special thank you to the Grace Partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to put free ministry materials into the hands of many people in need. If you're not already a Grace Partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today.
1: Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God already had determined a purpose for your life, a God-given purpose. God has a purpose to train you in what you're called to do, and I tell you, Karis Bible College is the place for that. Man, if you want a life change, come to Karis. Come on to Karis! The next two to three years could be the most powerful time of your life. IF YOU SIT UNDER THE WORD FOR FOUR HOURS A DAY, FOR FIVE DAYS A WEEK, FOR TWO OR THREE YEARS, I GUARANTEE YOU, YOU ARE GOING TO HAVE GOD SPEAK TO YOU AND START REVEALING PURPOSE TO YOU. EVERY ONE OF YOU ARE CREATED FOR A PURPOSE. DO YOU KNOW WHAT THAT PURPOSE IS?
0: Welcome to the AWM Minute, a small glimpse on how your partnership with Andrew Womack Ministries and Karis Bible College is making a difference in lives around the world. Lives like Vanya Curry, a surgical nurse from Texas who was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Having struggled to find a cure, Vanya found our Karis Bible College musical, God With Us, where the song Hem of His Garment spoke directly to her situation. I just saw this like love of God racing through time to get to me. I just really felt connected to God's story." From there, Vanya believed it was God's will for her to be healed and studied Andrew's teachings until his revelation became her own. Today, thanks to the free materials made available by our friends and partners, she is completely healed. To see Vanya's full healing journey, visit awmi.net today. The trajectory of your life is about to change. Forget what has gone on in the past. Forget all the zillions of people that you've had pray for you. Forget all of the doctors' reports that have come against you in the past. God has a future for your life, and it's good.
1: You have to say it. The power of God is voice-activated. And you have to speak words. All pain, gone, now, in Jesus' name.